Turn to Psalm 128 with me. Psalm 128. Jennifer, I'm so glad you're here. You weren't here when I started. I came out and said, I'm going to do my, I'm going to greet y'all like Jennifer would. I'm going to do my jumping around and all that, but I was afraid I'd get hurt and couldn't preach. So I just, I just said hi. All right. Tonight, I want to talk to you about, about a home and church. I want to talk to you about the greenhouse effect, not the one in the environmental issue right now. We're going to look at the greenhouse Psalm in the Bible. But before we look at it, let me tell you one of the places I learned. I've learned so much about church and life and home. I had never learned much in a church. Most of the places I've learned, I've learned in other places. You know, movie theaters, places like that. One of the greatest lessons I ever learned about home and church, I learned one day when uh, me and Katie went with our dear friends, Dr. J.L. Williams and his sweetheart, Pat. We went to the Metrolina Greenhouse in Charlotte. You, you girls know what Metrolina Greenhouse is. If you ever been to Walmart or the plant section in Lowe's or Home Depot, the boys Lowe's, you ever that place like that, you've seen Metrolina Greenhouse there. They supply all the plants for that. It's the largest greenhouse in America. And the Van Wingerden family owns it. Wonderful people. They've been here to church, visit some. Just, just they're devout believers. They love God. And uh, they started with that much. They came from Holland uh, years ago and started with that much. And now they own the largest greenhouse in America. That one in particular, it's right behind the Bass Pro Shop in Concord. So there was another reason to go. <laughs> And uh, 165 acres under one roof. And as far as the eye can see, brilliant red, yellow, bright blue flowers. And this is where they grow the flowers that they take to the Lowe's and the Home Depot. It's just, I just walked around with my mouth open. It was just amazing, uh, the, the engineering of how they've made that thing work. And I learned, I, I, stand, I got down and I said, this is a church right here. I said, they have built a church right here. And this is, this is what church is all about. And, and of course, Mr. Van Wingerden, uh, he was killed in a tragic accident a few years ago, but he, he's an engineer and he, he designed this thing and he designed it with one thing in mind. We're going to build an atmosphere where plants can absolutely flourish and do their best. That's what a greenhouse is. It's something you build so that something can grow inside of it and do well. And this is one of the greatest lessons about church and life and homes I ever learned. <clears throat> Great revelation what we're trying to do in our homes and in this place right here, we're trying to create an atmosphere, an atmosphere that people can thrive and grow in and do well in. And uh, I, I want to talk about this tonight. We're going to read the greenhouse Psalm. Y'all, y'all ever, you never heard of the greenhouse Psalm. I can tell by you look. All right. <clears throat> Let's read the greenhouse Psalm. You'll see why it's called that. Psalm 128. You know, sometimes I like to read and then just stop a little bit. So let's do that. Blessed. Let's stop right there. Blessed. Have you ever seen that word in the Bible, blessed or bless? Do you know what it means? Well, don't you know good? You don't know what it means. Anytime you see the word blessed in the Bible, read this. God is going to do something good for you. Blessed doesn't mean things are good. It means God made it good. Uh, and he, Jacob, and he blessed him there and he prospered. And the Bible talks about blessed are the poor in spirit. God does good things for the poor in spirit. Blessed are the merciful. God does good things for the merciful. So this talks about a man. It could be a woman. Blessed is the man. God is going to do good things for the man who, two things. He fears the Lord. Boy, this is not good language here. I wish this were written differently, but it's it's an old English word we use. It does not mean to be afraid of God. A better word would be honor. My children are not the least bit scared of me. They're not scared that I'm going to hurt them. They're not even scared to make mistakes, obviously. That doesn't bother them a bit. 
but my children respect me and adore me and honor me as their father. So anytime you see the word, blessed is the man who fears the Lord, the fear of the Lord in the Bible, just put the word honor or respect in there. So it says, I have to honor the Lord or respect the Lord. Blessed is the man who honors the Lord or fears him and who walks in his ways. It's not enough to believe in God. It's not even enough to honor him. You have to learn his ways and then and build those ways. Can you see the scripture there? God's going to do good things for those who will honor him and learn his ways and incorporate those ways into their lives. And we're going to learn some of them tonight. So what does the Bible say right here? Honor me, learn how to live a certain way, and I will open the windows of heaven over you, over your life. And then the Bible goes on to say this. And here's some of the way he honors or blesses us. When you eat the labor of your hands, you shall be happy. What's everybody looking for? Poll after poll tells we just want to, we just want to be happy. What do you say right there? If you'll honor me, then you'll eat the fruit of your labor, meaning I will bless what you do with your hands, your work, your efforts in life, not just your job, but everything. And you'll find great happiness. It shall be well with you. How many of you would like for it to be well with you? How many of you would like for it to be well in your home? Can you see what it, what's the whole word that's under? I will prosper you. I'll bring you happiness. It'll be well with you. What you do will work out well. And then here's the greenhouse picture. <clears throat> your wife will be like a fruitful vine in the very heart of your house. Your children like olive plants all around your table. Thus shall the man be blessed who honors or fears the Lord. And then he goes on to say, even down to your grandchildren, your children's children. What do you see right there? Let me tell you what you see in that Psalm right there. <clears throat> Do like Mr. Van Wingerden did in that greenhouse. Create a godly atmosphere, build an atmosphere for your home and your kids will thrive. Your marriage will thrive. Your, everything you do will thrive, but it all comes back to what? Building an atmosphere. And you've got to learn the ways to build the atmosphere. <clears throat> and we need to do it. There's really three places we need to do this. In our hearts, you can create an atmosphere in your heart that either welcomes or hinders the Spirit of God. And we can create atmospheres in our homes. I've visited over 3,000 private homes uh, since I've been in the ministry. And there's all kinds of atmospheres in homes. It has nothing to do with the size of the house. It has nothing to do with the amount of money. It's the spirit in the home. It's the atmosphere in that house. I've visited a lot of churches, unfortunately. And I've been in different kinds of churches. And there are all kinds of, they're, they're, every church has an atmosphere. And I've been in places where you could skate down the aisles. Ice skate down the aisles. I mean, it is the frozen chosen, but you couldn't, could grow. I, mean, I had to wear a coat to preach in there, a big coat to preach in there. It wasn't because you was formal, it was just cold. And I've been in atmospheres of strife. But the Bible said this, do like a greenhouse, create the right atmosphere and watch what happens in there. You create the atmosphere and see what happens inside of here. I, this is one of my favorite Psalms. I've read this over, one of the great ones I've always looked to, but it's a tremendous picture. Now, <clears throat> Mr. Van Wingerden, when he built the Metrolina greenhouse, and if you're going to build your own greenhouse, plants need four things to thrive. See if you don't agree with me. They need warmth. Frost and plants don't work well together. 28 degrees. I don't care if it's the greatest seed I don't care if you worked at it. I don't care if the soil's perfect. That plant's going to die. Plants have to have warmth. They have to have, what's number two? That's my guess. Water. Got to have water. And uh, the Van Wingerdens use over, uh, an Olympic-sized pool uses 30,000 gallons of water. Mr. Van Wingerden uses over a million gallons of water a day to water those plants there. Plants just have to have water. 
How many of you girls have learned? Plants have to have water. They have to have nutrition. You've got to have nutrition. Uh, and that's where the sun comes in with a process called photosynthesis. And the sun shines and creates nutrition. You've got, you got to feed plants. Matter of fact, if your plants are not, I'm, I'm a big fan of miracle growth. I sock it to them, buddy. Matter of fact, I've killed a few socking too much to them. Sort of like some preachers I know, they've eaten too much and it hurt them. But, but miracle grow, you got to have nutrition for a plant. And then the fourth thing you have to do to take care of plants is you have to protect them. You have to protect them from disease and predators. Or I don't care how healthy your plant is, they'll get eaten or destroyed or, or die. That's the four things you have to do. You know, the scripture teaches you and I, <clears throat> our homes need certain things to function. Our church has got to, we got to build certain, we want to create an atmosphere. I, create, I, I saw this when I was a young man, when we first had young children and I watched and I was watching families fall apart and I was watching ministers' families fall apart and I thought, well, you love God. Why is your family in such a mess? And I just kept thinking, what is this? And somehow the spirit of God showed me, it, it's not whether you love God or not, it's the atmosphere you raise your children in. I don't, I don't care if you've got a great church with a well-educated preacher and, you know, disco lights and smoke machines. Plants don't need smoke machines. You have to create an atmosphere for churches to thrive and grow in. And it's the same one you create for your home. And I understood this as a young man, for some reason, the kindness of God. So we, Katie and I set out, we're going to create this atmosphere in our home. And we've been so blessed to do that. And uh, uh, my brother, he is my brother, Mark Walker, our congressman was here and we were talking and he told us, I said, this is a, we were talking about our church. He said, this is a great church. He said, they don't do anything right here. He said, they've thrown the book away here. They don't follow the rules on how to have a church, but somehow it works. What I learned in school would have killed this place a long time ago. What I learned in the Bible will make a church thrive. And it'll make families thrive. I don't want to talk to you about what we, this is the atmosphere I want you to create in your home. And we're going to create this and this. I'm always, I know this is going to sound crazy to y'all. There's a method behind my madness. I know what I'm doing here. I know it don't look like it. My, my staff's going. I have a goal for this place. I'm trying to create an atmosphere in this place so that God can grow you strong and healthy and blessed. And I'm going to do the same thing in my church. The living free ministries. All they're trying to do is create an atmosphere where those people can grow. Mary's house. That's all we're trying to do is make a place where people can do. We were born to grow. You know why I know that? Does not the Bible say the day you were born again, he planted his seed inside of you. Do you have good seed in you? Why didn't it grow sometimes? Why don't things go well? It's the atmosphere. It's not the seed. I've got the Spirit of God inside of me. The very seed of God is in here, but I only flourish in a certain atmosphere, like your kids and everything else. Here we go. All right, number one, your home and this house has to have warmth. Warmth. And the Bible talks about warmth being the love of God. The love of God is the foundational need of every heart. It's, it's what we build in our homes. And I want to talk to you for a minute about the love of God and how this works in our lives. And uh, the, the warmth we talk of here, the love of God involves four things. You can't just, how many of you know you can't say I love you? Can't just say I love you. The Bible said, let us not love in word, but in deed. There's some things you have to do to make love work. And I want to mention to you, this is, this is with your children. This is with this house. When people come in here, this is anywhere we go. There are four things we have to do from scripture that the Bible talks about the love of God. Number one is unconditional love. Our nation is saturated with, I will love you long as you act like you got some sense. When I marry young couples, you're not going to believe what I make them say to each other. 
But sometimes they want to write their own vows. I say, forget it. I'm in charge here. Because I know what you're going to say. As long as it's mushy, I'm in here, doc. You know what I make them say? Better or worse. Richer or poorer. Pay attention to the poor part because that's where you're going to start. Sickness and in health and it will come. There's going to come a day you're sick of him. I know you're doing great right now. But there's going to come a day you're sick of him. It don't matter. You know what, you know what that is? That richer, you know what all that is? Better or worse? That is unconditional love. I'm not going to love you based on how you act. I'm going to love you with the love of God based on who I am. And you've got to treat your children like that. Listen to me. Churches have got to start treating each other like that. We've got to start loving people unconditionally, which springs into the second thing he does, and that is acceptance. The Bible said, accept one another. One of the great, listen, we, we have a tremendous problem in our land and in the whole earth with rejection. That's why, if you saw today's devotional, that, that's why we try to impress this, why we dress like we do and do what we do, trying to get people to like us. The cure for the, the spirit of rejection that's in every human heart from the fall of man is in Ephesians 1, 4 that says we are accepted in the beloved. God has accepted us. Somebody should write a song, should go like this, just as I am. That is one of the, that's not just a neat song. That is one of the greatest truths of the universe that God says to me, just as you are, come on. Do not try to fix yourself. Oh, Lamb of God, I come just as I am. And you need to let your kids know, I don't care if you can't hit the ball. I don't care if you make D's in everything. I, I care if you try, but I don't care if, if you make D's and that's the best you can do, I'm going to take you out to eat pizza. I don't care if you don't make the cheerleading squad. I don't care. None of that matters to me. I accept you just like you are. You think kids are smart enough to know? You think people are smart enough to know? In this house, we have to have a, we don't write it on the walls, but it has to be reflected by everybody in here. We take you just like you are. I, I, I don't care. I don't care if you got a bone rammed through your nose. I don't care if your hair is multicolored. I don't care what your background is. I don't care what you wear. I would like for you to cover up a little bit. It don't matter to me, but the deal is, that's not the light he wanted shining. The deal is, You've got to let people know you're accepted here. The human heart longs to be accepted here. The pain of rejection is the number one pain in our land. And only the love of God and the acceptance of God can overcome that. Let me tell you the difference between Jesus Christ and religion. Both will accept you. Both want to change your behavior. It's just that one puts it in front of the other. Where does Jesus put the acceptance? He puts it in front of good behavior. Where does the church often put acceptance? Straighten yourself up and we'll smile at you. We've got to move the acceptance to this side of the behavior. How many of you know people need time to grow? I've been working on this 46 years. Go on and say it. You still got some growing to do. This is as good as you've done in that much time. To be honest with you, I'm enjoying Jesus so much I'm not working on my perfection anymore. Okay, fine. Be Baptist. I'll get back to it. That's all right. Here's my point. I may remember a story in the Bible called the story of the prodigal son. All right. The prodigal came back home. He was, you don't get no wickeder. Spend your daddy's money on hookers. You don't get no wickeder. The difference is this. The father accepted him just like he was. Now listen to me. I promise you down the road, he helped him with his behavior. 
but the elder brother, his older brother, who was a picture of religion, wouldn't even talk to him because of his behavior. He, I'm sure if you'd, uh, you straighten up and do right and show us a period where you can behave and I'll start talking to you again. Do you see that both of them would have accepted him? It's just on the opposite sides of performance. Acceptance says to your children, the people around you come just like you are. Love you just like you are. And listen to me, listen to me, guys around the church. Much like with your children, you expect them to need to grow. You understand what I'm saying here? You know, when my son was, was like two months old, if he pooped in his britches and that's fine. If he's still doing it at 32, we got to talk about something here. You understand what I'm saying? As you grow, we expect you to progress in some things. If you throw your food on the floor as a child, we clean it up. It ain't fun, but we clean it up. You're doing it at 18, me and you can have a talk. Do you understand that kids grow? Listen, believers should have time to grow in the church. We got people come to God out of all kinds of insanity. You don't know what their background is. You don't know what, what hell they've been through and what they've endured. And we bring them in the house of God and we expect them to be 40 year saints on day one. If they throw up a time or two, show them some mercy. You know what this is called? This is called creating an atmosphere that families and churches can thrive in. I will crawl across broken glass for you if you'll accept me just like I am. You create an atmosphere of acceptance and compassion, I'll shine one day if you'll just give me time. Number three, the Bible says this. We have to value people. We live in a culture of throwaway people. And today people's value is tied to their performance. If you can hit the ball, if you're wealthy, if you can sing great, we think you're somebody. If you're just average, what's your value? We have got to buck this thing. You, you cannot, how many testimonies have I read and books have I read of great leaders and people who were so damaged by their parents? One of the greatest Christian writers and leaders of our day, I was reading his biography recently, and he said, I, I, heard, his, I heard my mother say one night after they thought I was asleep that so-and-so, which is my brother, is their best son. He said, that scarred me. He said, I spent years trying to work through that until God finally helped me get over it. Well, see, in, the, in, in your home, you, you can't do that. I told you the, the great example God gave me. My dad and, and a man were best friends, best buddies, him and Bill Silver. And they had, they had two boy, he had two boys the ages of me and my brother. And we were all buddies. And, uh, and the boy that was my age, uh, he was, uh, he was uh, uh, mentally handicapped, special needs adult. But he was hilarious. We became buddies and he just hung around the church. We loved God and he, he was a hoot. He was so much fun. Remember the days of Sonny Walkman, Walkmans? Yeah. Always had it on his side. Great big old thing with a cassette tape player in it. Had them ear bones on. Had his hat pulled down his eyes and had 29 pencils stuck in his pocket right here. That's how he went around. We made it, you know, we, we gave him, he was the director of traffic in the church parking lot. And he would, he was, I mean, he didn't just say, I mean, he was dramatic. He'd, he'd pull him and he, and nobody ever did what he said. You know, he'd be stopping you. They'd just roll by and say, Hey Joe. And they'd go on like that. But he did great at his job. Now the boy who was my brother's age, he finished first in his class at Davidson and became a well-known surgeon in Charlotte. Well, you know, you got one son struggling, one son's a surgeon. I mean, you know, in the average family, that could tend to be this one's the big dog and this one's, oh, we still love him, but you know, you can't do that in the family of God. 
And Mr. Silver, he was just as proud of Bobby the day he graduated medical school as he was of Joe the day he learned to tie his shoes. See, that is family. That's what it, that's what it means to value people, not because of what you can do, not because of how smart you are, not because of how pretty you are, just for who God made you to be. Listen, my value is not in speaking. It's not in my wallet. It's not in my bicep. Certainly not there anymore at this age. It's, it's not in it. My value is in the fact that I am created in the image of God, period. And you got to treat your kids like that, treat your mate like that. And we have got to treat, you, treat each other here like that. There's so much written in the Bible that you don't hear talked about much in this area where the Bible said you cannot show partiality. If a man comes to your church and he's got on a heart shafter and mark suit and gold rings and you get excited and you put him in the front and a dirty man comes in in rags and you say, you go sit at the back. God said you have become an evil judge with wicked motives. But we, this is so, this is one of the greatest things you, I, I think most people know, no cocaine. Thank you. If you're going to follow Jesus, you need to quit doing cocaine. Can I get a witness? Now you'll make me nervous there. If you're going to follow Jesus, you need to have one man, one woman for one lifetime. Break with this multiple mess. All right, I'm going to quit asking such hard questions. And See, we, we know that stuff is, we don't do that. But one of the great sins of the American church is the partiality. We even build churches around partiality. Can't do that. You create an atmosphere where somebody comes in and they feel rejected because they're not as valuable as somebody else. That, that, that's not the greenhouse effect. Plants die in that. And you got to create it and you do it in your home. Got to do it with your kids and always cheer for your kids. And then, of course, the fourth one is to is celebrate. If you want your kids to thrive, celebrate your kids. Cheer for them. When they do something well, cheer for them. Clap, holler, scream, smile, whatever you do. Man, when that you just put their put when they draw that little stuff and you can't tell what it is, put that thing on your refrigerator and tell and show you. Let's say, look what they did and brag on them. Everybody wants to be cheered for. Everybody, let me say it this way: everybody wants somebody to be excited about them. And I got news for you: you better be putting that stuff on your refrigerator because me and Katie found out them watercolor ponies are gonna ride away one day. Do it while you can. Well, listen. You say, where do you get this thing in church about celebrating people? That's why we come together. When you come in this place, you, you ought to be attacked. Attacked, as Ernest T. Bass says. You need to be attacked when you come in here. Why does the Bible say so much about greeting one another and hugging one another and kissing one another? This is a place where people should be celebrated. So where do you get that crazy stuff from? All right, let me take you back again to the same place I learned about which side of performance acceptance goes on. Luke chapter 15, when that evil, wicked prodigal came home, what did the father do? Ran to him, grabbed him. What does it mean fell on his neck? That's Greek for wallered all over him. Is it not? It means you grab, it doesn't mean it's able to hug him. No, that's a, that's a fish hug. I'm talking, about a, I'm talking about a grab you and squeeze the pudding out of your hug. Like... Like some, you know, what some of my ladies here call a hug. We used to call a half Nelson in wrestling. what it really is. And the Bible said he kissed him continuously. And what he said, let us rejoice. Let us rejoice. Kill the fatted calf. We're going to come celebrate with me. Do you see the excitement of God over people? And how he celebrates people? Be ye imitators of God as dear children. 
And we need to celebrate people and be excited about people. When I see the kids walking in the hall and I just carry on with, and we need to hug and celebrate each other. I mean, believe we should greet each other. So good to have you all with us today. So good to have you all with us today. Start that mess with me. I mean, they, they do that in the Congress. Listen, you need to greet one another passionately. Sorry. Y'all come back here. We got lost there. You should go in there and be baptized with the love of God. Say amen. We'll pray for him to do it. Who are you? Love ye one another. I, I think I told you about the man kissing me and aggravating me. I'm not raised in the place where men kiss. And years ago, we're over in the little chapel. We hadn't even built the first auditorium yet. And I'm standing there and the service is done. I'm standing down there and a man comes up, never seen him. And he walked up to me smiling. I put my hand on him. He, walked, he just walked right up, bumped me and kissed me. Right on the face, not on the lips, on the face. And I, I just remember going, why did, why did I, why am I not a highway patrolman? What am I doing? And he, he sensed my reluctance to kiss him, with him or whatever. And he sort of stood back. He said, pastor, he said, don't you know the Bible says that we're to greet one another with a holy kiss? I said, he said, matter of fact, it says that more times that we're to greet one another with a holy kiss than it does as to be born again. I said, get thee behind me, you devil. Where, where do you get this stuff from? I went there and my office looked it up. That crazy man was right. Five times in the New Testament, we're told to greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, some of you modern translators have boogered it up. J.B. Phillips said, handshakes all around. That is not what it means. And I, I don't care whether you kiss people. I don't care whether you do the Robbie Adams thing or not on people. And Robbie just kissed me all over the head all the time. And, but, the, but the point is, what, what is the bottom line? Greet one another affectionately and celebrate people. I'm, I'm still, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm growing. I'm still struggling with this man kissing thing. I mean, it's just like, you got to do it. It's like fasting. I don't know who called it fasting. It's the slowest thing I've ever done. But it's one of them things you just have to do it. So I'm sort of walking in it, but I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> Let me tell you something. Here's what the scripture is saying through this whole thing. We need to celebrate people. Everybody wants somebody to be excited about them. Until we get a, a picture of the living God and how excited he is about people. As a father has a tender heart toward his children, so the Lord has toward those who honor him. Yes. Now, some of you, I know you're pretty reserved. God bless you. I may remember when that child was born as a father and you stood there and you watched that and you thought, God, this is living right here. This is the trick right here. I mean, no, see, I'd, nobody had ever had one like me before. Girls, same way too. I'm belaboring the point, but the point is, you, I, I have visited churches where I got out of my car, went into the church, sat down, went through the whole service, got back to my car, and nobody looked at me. Yeah. Do you think I'm hard to talk to? <laughs> nobody stuck their hand out to me. After looking at the look on their face, I thought, I don't know what you got anyway. I don't know what the deal is here, but that's not a church. That, that's an auditorium. That's a speaking center. It's not about coming to hear a man speak. This is church this way. 
And we've got to create an atmosphere. And that atmosphere is the warmth of our houses and our churches is the love of God where people are loved unconditionally. They're accepted. You're valuable here. And you've got to let them know it. You've got to let them know it. I've talked to men who suffer with this and say, I have never heard my dad say the words, I love you and I'm a grown man. These things ought not be. That's what the church is to fill the gap where the family is broken down. And, to, and you need to celebrate people. Just people. People thrive on that kind of stuff. This is the most important thing we do in church is to create an atmosphere of warmth and that warmth there's the love of God practiced amongst people. Number two, a little quicker. Just as a plant needs water, you need the Holy Spirit of God. You have to have the Holy Spirit in your home and in your church to flourish. He, he is the, that's why the Bible says this, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. What's the next one? He restores my soul. What restores my soul? Those waters. Anytime you see waters or river in the Bible, that is the Holy Spirit of God. Well, the greatest picture I think of the Holy Spirit is Ezekiel 47, where he said, I saw a river flowing from underneath the throne room of God's house and it flowed down to the people and wherever the river went, things came alive and the nations were healed by that river. And you find that same river in the last book of the Bible, last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 22, there was the lamb seated on his throne, the father on his throne. And from them came the river that flowed and the rivers for the healing of the nations and there were leaves for the healing. The river in the Bible is the spirit of God. That's why the Bible talks about blessed is the man who's planted beside the river. And we need to experience the presence of God in churches. That's it. That's why we worship. It's not because I can't talk for an hour. They're not up here for entertainment. That's why we make you stand up too. The worship is to connect people with the Spirit of God. You, listen, the, the Spirit of God is your life. The Bible paints another picture in Ezekiel 37 where it says, He took me out to a valley and it was a graveyard and the bones were on top of the ground and there were many bones and they were very dry. And that was, what did he, what did he say? That? Well, he said, this is the house of Israel. He said, this is my church without my spirit. And he said, he said, can these bones live again? And I said, only you know, Lord. And he said, pray to the breath, pray to the spirit of God. Say, come upon these bones that they might live again. You need the spirit of God to give you life. You need the Holy Spirit in your home. Create an atmosphere that, that invites the Holy Spirit into your home. An atmosphere of, of worship. You, you don't need profane mess in there in your house. You don't need filth and violence. And Listen, I'm not, being, I'm not being 1957. I'm just telling you, you need to create an atmosphere in your home. And it needs to be an atmosphere of, of worship and an atmosphere of encouragement and hope in that house. You gotta, and you, you got to work on this stuff. And we need it in our church too. But the Spirit of God, He, is only, he only comes where He's welcome. I'm the same way. I've been in houses before and I was supposed to stay and I just turned around and left after a while. I'm, what That F.U. stuff and violence and hatred and people screaming at each other, I'm out of here. I'm old, I don't have to stay no more. But I've been in other homes, I go in there and man, there's a sweetness in there and the people are happy and you can smell pinto beans cooking on the stove and they got hot cornbread and, and you, just, you just think, they got to call the sheriff to get me out of here. I am attracted to certain homes and I'm repelled by other homes. I'm not being unkind. I'll, if I can help you, I'll stay, but not no longer than I have to. But, <laughs> do you understand the Holy Spirit is a person? He's the same way. You have to attract him into your church. 
by certain attitudes and worship and things we do, attract him into your home and, and make it a place where he's comfortable in there. All right, so we have the spirit got to be watered. I don't want to spend much time on that, but number three, you have to eat and live. Tell me the nutrition that God's people have to have to live and flourish and do well. Listen, the bread of life. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And well, listen, it's not just, listen, it's not about getting Bible truths in our heads. Thy word have I hid in my heart. And the Bible said, he said to me in the book of Revelation, it was the word of God, it was the scroll. He said, take this old man of God and eat it, eat it. And he said, I ate it. You, you don't just study the Bible to get your head full. You feed on God's word so it can strengthen your heart. And our strength comes from that word. And that's why I'm a little nervous with what's going on in Christian circles today where we put so much emphasis on knowledge. It's fine to know things. You got to feed on this word. It's got to become, somebody should do a devotional called Our Daily Bread. <laughs> and you, you eat on, I don't care if you're, I don't mean being kind. If you're doing that three chapters a day deal, great, 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 fine. The goal is not to check a box off. I got stuck on one verse this morning during mine, stayed there the whole time. And he opened it to me and I just, I just, I put grape jelly on it and ate the whole thing. I mean, it was, I just thought, yeah. See, in churches, we don't need to come up here and some guy going, Rehoboam, Begat, Jeroboam. We don't need that stuff. I'm not being unkind. You got to have your heart spoken to. Do the same thing in your house. Don't make it. I remember went through this thing when I was years ago in the bad, I shouldn't say don't make, here's the point, don't make your children sit down and read the book of Leviticus to them and slap them if they move <laughs> they'll grow up and hate me and hate God and everybody else what does the Bible say about this word in your house speak these things to them when you sit down, when you rise up, when you lie down and when you walk by the way speak the encouragement of God into your children's lives Speak it to each other. Listen, I want y'all, everybody in here should be a preacher. I, we ain't going no further till I get a bunch of amens on that. We got to, all right, all right. Listen, when somebody's struggling, so, listen, right, you're just in the halls or you're, you're at work and somebody says, I don't think I can do this. You say, let me tell you something. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. That, that's it. Don't make them sit down. Don't open. You know that. Just speak the word to them. I, you, when you see people going through a tough time, so let me tell you something. He said, when you walk through the fire, I will be with you. It will not overflow. Said, said the flame will not kindle on you. The river will not run over you. Speak the word of life into people's lives. Speak them into children's hearts. Your kid come home and says, I, I'm a loser. I can't do nothing right. I've struck out three times. You tell me, listen, open your mouth and talk to that child. Speak God's truth into their lives. Their value is not based on whether they can hit a ball or not. This, the word of God is what we feed people's lives on. Feed you made on the word. Speak to them. Talk, <laughs> don't, don't just tune them out. Talk to your, talk to your family. Talk to the people. I, I, raise your right hand. I anoint you in the church of the living lamb. So whatever, you, you're ready. All right, now, you're, now you've been ordained. You've got your Bible. Go preach. Right, you, we have to create an atmosphere and that atmosphere is that uh, atmosphere of compassion and acceptance and I love you and I'm so glad, to, I'm happy, I'm so happy to see you. And we have, to let, we have to create an atmosphere where the Spirit of God can come and touch people. We have to feed on the Word of God but then the last thing you have to do for a plant is you have to protect it. How many of the plants are delicate? We're delicate. I know we think we're tough but we're delicate. 
And the Bible said you have to plant, protect your plants. You have to protect plants from two things according to scripture. Do you, do you know how many times in the Bible God compares us to plants? All through scriptures, ag, ag, agrarian-based teaching. And uh, we have to be protected from two things. Number one, we have to be protected from disease. Tell me what the Bible says disease is. What's the disease in the Bible? Uh, let's just look at it. I want you to turn so you see this. I want you to get the picture. Turn me to 2 Timothy. Listen, you need to see this picture right here. How many know that rat poison, even with sugar topping on top, is not good for you? <laughs> even rat poison with whipped cream, I don't care. That's not good for you. Y'all do understand that, don't you? You know why I said that? Because my generation and now preachers are serving up rat poison with whipped cream on it. And people are eating it. I want you to look at what the Bible says about disease. And uh, he's talking here about men that are creating a mess. Second Timothy chapter two, perhaps you've never seen this before. Second Timothy two seventeen. Their message will spread, Second Timothy two seventeen, like what? Cancer. What is cancer? Hymenius and Philetus of this sort who have strayed concerning the truth. All right, so he called what these men are doing cancer. Now, let me ask you a question. Is having cancer in your body a problem? Yes. No, no. No few doctors have told me just about everybody's got cancer cells in their body. Cancer cells in your body are not a problem until they start multiplying. Until they connect and start multiplying, then you got a problem. What, what is a cancer? What a cancer is a rogue cell that destroys the body. What does the Bible call sin? It calls it a cancer. Tell me what disease does to plants and what cancer does to the body. It kills it. And it kills the life of God. It kills everything we hold dear in our lives. And so the Bible says that we need to be protected from that stuff. A lot of people think it's just old fashioned to say, stay away from sin. Let me tell you why I want you to stay away from sin. It's not because I don't want you having fun when I can't. That's that perverted view. It's because I love you. Same reason I don't want you to sin. Same reason I want my kids eating rat poison. Even if it's got whipped cream on it. Even if every kid on the block's eating it, I don't want them eating it. I'm not responsible for them kids. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord, this house. And the problem is that Romans 6, 23 says this, the wages of sin is the death of a family. How many families have been destroyed because of sin? Either some great big gross sin or just a lot of little foxes that spoil the vines. I've been in houses where they talk to each other awful. Just criticize each other and slam each other and they don't encourage each other. You say, well, that, that's not all that bad. You go back and look at that house three years from now. You can't build a great house with that kind of atmosphere of criticism. Well, so we're, just, we're just cutting up, knock it off. We don't need to do people like that. And the same things in a church, I'd be very careful how we talk to each other and the way we speak to each other. Cancer is a dangerous, that's why I have to protect against it. Matter of fact, you know what y'all do with it? Guess, guess what y'all do with it? What would Barney Fife say about sin? Don't let it go, nip it in the bud. We're, we're, we're waiting until we're in stage four before we even notice. One of the greatest lessons I learned about sin, I learned from a man who's part of our church here, his daughter and her husband own a, great, own a big vineyard in our community here. They make wine on a vineyard and uh, where you got these rows of grapes on the trellises 
beside each row was a, was a rose bush. They planted a rose bush at each end of each row of grapes. And I said, that's pretty. That, that, that's really pretty. He said, pastor said, that's not there for pretty. I said, well, it looks pretty to me. And uh, he said, those rose bushes are the canary in the cage in the coal mine for the vineyard. Y'all, is anybody enough to remember the canaries in the cage? All right, you take it back before you had electronic testing equipment. You go in a coal mine, you have methane gas sometimes. And the problem is you can't, you don't know what's in there until it's too late until you're gone. You take a canary in a cage. You set him near where you're working. If he stops tweeting, you better be getting out. Because the methane would kill him before it would bother you. So if you see the canary fall over, you need to get out of Dodge. Glad I wasn't a canary back when they did that stuff. He said, the rose is the most susceptible plant to disease there is. He said, if disease is going to get in something, it'll get in a rose first. That's why we plant them on the end of every row. Because if disease is coming this way, we'll see it in the roses first. We can protect our grapevines. I said, man, I want to be like that in my life. Before it takes root, I want to get hold of it. I want to get it out of the way. Listen to what the Bible said. Do not let a small root of bitterness spring up because if you let it go grow, it will destroy many. How many homes have I watched destroyed because somebody didn't nip it in the bud? I'm, I'm going to go a little further here. How many of you know it's easier to start to get it out right at the start? Do not put up with any, no thought, nothing that doesn't line up with truth. If it's destructive, get it out early. How many of you think I'm overreacting? How many of you like to sit and look at the hell and the heartache and the pain I've seen for people who didn't take this serious? I'm in the woods one day praying and the Lord's talking to me about this. He said, you people are letting stuff go too far and then you can't do anything with it. And he said, look right there. He just prompted my attention. I'm just, I'm not words. I'm just meditating. And I looked down and there was a little oak sapling about 12 inches tall. He said, see if you can pull it up. Well, I reached and pulled it up with just one hand, just jerked it up. No problem at all. He said, that's what I want you to do. I want you, when you see it, just start and get, get rid of it in your heart, your home, Listen, in my home, we, we, we had a compassionate, loving, exciting home. But when I sensed the first little getting out of the way in that house, daddy came on the scene. We're not going to talk to each other like that around here. We're not going to treat each other like that around here. I'm the same way in my church. God, I am old and hateful. Let me tell you why I did that. He, and listen to what he impressed me with. He said, turn around, pull up the one behind you. I turned around and it was a 150-year-old oak tree. I just laughed. I said, that's funny. He said, I didn't say it's funny. I said, try it. And so I, I, I just did like that right there and went, <clears throat> guess what? It had been rooted too long for me to handle it. I'd have needed an exorcist to get that thing out of there. <laughs> but do you understand what I'm saying? Let's be tenderhearted and be real careful with the junk that goes on in our houses and in our church and in our hearts and in, our, in where we're at. Is this nation being real careful about stuff we say today? God help us. All right, he will help us. That's why you got to do that. Now I want to point something out here and this bothers people, but you got to understand God's reason. <clears throat> First Corinthians chapter five, numerous places in the Bible. When people would not repent of sin, what did the Bible say do with them? Get them out of your church. You say, that is so awful to throw them out of your church. No, it's not. No, it's not. Dear ones, it is necessary. And in 1 Corinthians 5, he said, you got a man living in such gross sin. You've talked to him two or three times. Now tell him, don't come back and get out of this group. And the Bible says that in no few places. If you've rebuked a divisive man, if you've corrected him two or three times, separate your company from him. Is God just being ugly? 
Why are we doing that? Why do we do that? This will look at what he said in 1 Corinthians 5. Know ye not that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? When Dr. Graham found that cancer in my neck and uh, she said, you know what? You know what she, she said, well, good luck. She said, I'd cut you, but that hurt. So good luck. <laughs> of course not. She said, I'm going to cut you and it's going to hurt. We're going to get that out so that it doesn't affect the rest of your body. If we can get it out, it won't spread. What did we read in 2 Timothy? Get that cancer out of there because it will, what did it say? It will spread. And when you get one, when you let that stuff go, a lot of people think it's brutal when you say to folks, you have to change or separate. Doing it's necessary. How many homes have been destroyed by one stinking attitude? How many churches have been ruined by one because somebody didn't straighten the mess out? This, this cancer is killing us with stuff like this. I believe we ought to do this. Listen, we've got to bring back, this is killing us here and deal like that. I remember uh, some time ago, I probably shouldn't tell this because it's on my own family, but we just always had this thing in our house. We're going to respect each other here. And I was serious about it because I, I don't do anything else right. I want a great home and we're not going to stab each other here. We're not going to be unkind. And the killing sin in this house is if you don't respect your mama, woo, golly, that's your bad day. I don't care if you don't hit the ball, but you ain't talking ugly to your mama. And I had one child and I'm not going to identify it. So they'll have to guess. That'll be real hard. <laughs> Got just a little, just a hair sassy. Not, not out of the way. Most folks wouldn't even notice it, but I know this. Little beginnings create big problems. Well, I didn't, I didn't fly ill and get a paddle. I just said, meet me in my office a little while. And I went out there and we sat down and I said, now in a little bit, I want you to go back in your room and I want you to start packing your stuff up. Because tomorrow I'm taking you to a boarding school. And I'm in it too. I said, we're not going to talk like that in this house. We're not going to disrupt what God's doing in this place. And nobody's going to sass their mom in this house. Do you understand? It's been cured ever since that day. We never had a problem. We didn't have to go to no boarding school. The dam broke. The tears flowed. We laughed, done with. And that's the most respectful child I've got. What if I had been scared of, God, I don't want to hurt my children's feelings. I want them to like me. I want you to grow up more than I want you to like me. Can I get a witness? Please don't tell any child experts. Listen to me. Get it out of your heart. Get it out of your home and we're going to get it out of the house. That stuff's dangerous. You have to protect yourself. You have to have an atmosphere that's disease free. And let me throw in one before we quit here. Predators. The Bible said in Isaiah 5, the wall will be pulled up and wild beasts will get into your garden. <laughs> I hate wild beasts in my garden. All right, I have two. I've got a little small garden, which I do fruit. You just got peach. I mean, uh, not peaches. It's got grapes and blackberries and figs. And around that, fence, around that garden is an eight-foot high fence to keep out. Guess who? Apparently, word got around that I shot a few. When they, it must have been their family because they can eat everything I've got over there. They'll stand out there. and eat. I've had them go out there and, and pick up stuff and just stand there with it in their mouth and stare at me. Like, and then I do, I do grow uh, antique southern apples. Eight foot high fence around that for one reason. All the care in the world, the right atmosphere. If you let them get in there, you're going to lose everything you got. And you have to protect. You've got to protect from that right there. Our, well, you don't have to worry about deer messing your life up. But I'm telling you, there is an enemy. There is a wolf who'd love to get in your house and get in your heart and get in this church and tear everything up. And we don't put up an eight foot high electric fence 
the word of God, the truth, the truth will set me free. And the truth says this, no more lies. And we're not going to have these lies. And you let a child get in, get it in their hearts that they're a liar. That is, a, that is the enemy. That's a predator coming in your child's heart. You let them know you are not a loser because God's word says you're a conqueror and you're a champion and you're an overcomer. And it's your job to get that wolf out of that child's life and get those words out that destroy a child's heart like that. And, oh my goodness. That, that's why we need to protect against I mean, even bad teaching with good intentions will kill a plant. One of the greatest illustrations of this, my dear friend, Dr. J.L. Williams, I shouldn't tell this because on his son, he's a friend of mine. Well, J.L. believes everybody ought to have a garden. Everybody. He even came out to my house and put in irrigation for a new garden. I said, we got all the garden we need out here. Grab that right there. And there we went. <laughs> so he, he put a garden in his son's house. I'm not gonna tell you which one. I'll do that. I'm not gonna tell you which one. He put a garden in his son's house and just gave it to him. Said they got, even got the plants growing and said, there, there. And he said, I went over, me and his mother went over one day, we we're going to eat, went over, and he's out in the garden spraying. And he was spraying the plants. And I said, I said, what are you doing? He said, I, I'm spraying the plants. I found this stuff you can spray plants with. He is a brilliant man. Matter of fact, he's a doctor. Well, I guess I just gave that away. And uh, <laughs> so he's, he's spraying the plants and J.L. looked on there and it said, Roundup. Oh, so you know more than he does. He thought Roundup was plant food. He thought he was actually helping him. And he sprayed the whole thing with Roundup. He didn't mean no harm. He was sincere. He thought he was doing right. They died like a rake. No, actually they didn't. JL jumped out there immediately and took a garden hose and tried to wash and wash and wash and wash. And he said they, they limped for a while, but they came back. Well, we're not going to spray Roundup on our children. <laughs> How about university? Those people are sincere, but they'll kill your kids. They think they're helping them. That's why when I see people spraying poison on people, I come right behind them and I wash them with the water of the word to get that mess off of them there. Got to be careful. Do not let the entertainment industry teach your children how to live. They'll kill you. They mean no harm. I promise you, nobody, nobody in Hollywood sits down and says, how can we destroy children? But that poison will do it. Anything contrary to this word is not food. And you have to protect your family. We have to protect this house from stuff like this. Now, listen, on, on, when you're building your greenhouse for your home and for this house right here, you have to create the atmosphere. And then what do you have to keep doing? You got to keep checking the temperature. You got to keep checking, make sure the water's flowing. You have to constantly work to maintain an atmosphere. Every, listen, every relationship between two people has an atmosphere. Yeah. Me and my sweetheart, we have an atmosphere in our relationship. It's got to be good. And if it gets a little cold, <laughs> we got to do something. Let me help you guys. Let me help you out. Please listen to me. Please listen to me. This is a, this is, girls, just leave me, leave me for a minute. Better to be warm than correct. Can anybody bear witness? You can be right and cold if you want to be. It's called the couch. Better to be warm than correct. Shut your mouth and smile. That's some of the best preaching for men right here. 
you, you just have to work at this. Let me show you one verse. We're going to quit. Just turn to the book of Ephesians. Guys, I, I got this when I was a young man. And Katie and I, we determined that our home would be an atmosphere that children could thrive in. We guarded carefully what came into that home entertainment-wise. And not be sitting at the table staring at, and you don't sit at our dinner table and stare at no cell phone. You're going to be staring at your daddy while he talks to you. I should have got one amen out of that. <laughs> not going to be no profane slamming jamming in that house. We're not putting up with that mess. And let me, let me brag on my wife for a minute. We decided that we're, we're going to work on this atmosphere. And well, let's read the verse first. In Ephesians chapter four. In Ephesians chapter four, the Bible talks about the family of God, how to build your personal family and the house of God, the church family. Look what it says in verse three. Ephesians 4, three. Endeavoring. What's that word endeavoring mean? Work hard at it. Work at it. Endeavoring to maintain the unity of the spirit in the body of bond of peace, there is one body. You got to work at this stuff. You got to work to keep an atmosphere in your marriage, your home, your church, and yet you have to work at it. When you sense strife in your house, let me tell you something, you got to get with it. So that's not the atmosphere we're going to have in here. When you sense something in this house that, that's not conducive to growth, work on it, fix it right there and get the thing dealt with. And uh, you have to be, because of the day we live in, you have to be a little more adamant about this. Do you not? We live in a cold land right now and it's dangerous. You got to work at this, but let me tell you something. If God be for us, make up your mind. Now I can't help what they do somewhere else, but as for this heart, my home and this house, we're going to build an atmosphere where people flourish and grow and we're going to be encouraging and life-giving and we're going to value all that stuff we just said. We're going to do that. And sometimes you might, you might have to be a little redneck about it. You know what redneck means, don't you? You might have to endeavor a little bit. All right, we decided when we're kids are just babies and they're born, they'll no, there'll be nothing in our house that breaks the Ten Commandments or encourages the breaking of them. I've told them this stuff before. You say, well, how are you? You're living in 1957. No, I'm living in 32 A.D. And, and by the way, I had people tell me, your kids are going to be so screwed up. Let me make an announcement. They're like olive plants all around my table. They're flourishing just fine. They're doing great because God tells the truth. All right. And we decided that no profanity in this house. We're not going to, we're, we're going to be weird. We're going to be a bunch of religious fanatics in this house. We're going to love like Jesus loves and talk like Jesus talks and treat people like Jesus treats people. None. All right. So we're in the house one day and Katie, we always kept our, we built our houses open. Well, I mean, the bathroom's closed, but built our houses open because we didn't want mama in their kitchen and us cooking up. We just built it all open where everybody could see everybody all the time. I mean, need to be in your children's business. That's why we have family so we can be together. All right. So Katie's doing something in the kitchen, little area there. And I got the kids and we're watching, uh, angel. What's the angel thing? Touched by angel. Touched by angel. These little fellas. Touched by angel. And I was so excited because it's the one where Randy Travis was on it. And you know, Randy Travis was our neighbor growing up and had Randy Travis. And it was a whole movie that they'd done with him on that thing. And, and I just I thought, boy, I'm going to introduce my kids to one of the great apostles here. And they're going to see Randy Travis. And we're going to learn all kinds of great stuff. We're, just having, we're sitting there. 
And it was a movie about, it, the film was about a fake evangelist who was who doing people and Randy go straighten them out, which is my calling too. And so he's, we're watching the thing and uh, all of a sudden a swear word came out of the TV. And I remember thinking, I, I just remember for a moment thinking, well, that wasn't that bad. All of a sudden I heard from the kitchen area, turn it off. Ah. Well, I mean, it was just one and it wasn't that bad. You know what? I'm the man of my house. <laughs> you know what? I love that woman. She's right. We made a decision. We're going to build an atmosphere where kids flourish. Somebody tell me how the show ended. If you ever get a chance, I'd love to know. That's it. Turned it off, done with it. And we've stuck with that. I, 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 was, <laughs> I was telling my daughter, my son-in-law last night, went a little overboard with it, I think, with one or two of them. I remember it was Christmas. We stopped in the sit-go to get gas. I'm just telling y'all this because I love y'all. We stopped in the sit-go to get gas. I'm in my truck, got my daughter. She's 10, 11. And at that time, now this is back, you know, in the dark ages. And if you filled up with sit-go gas, you got a free Christmas CD. Y'all remember CDs? CD. And it was country Christmas music. You know, country musicians singing Christmas music. I, I was so fired up. I went and filled up every day because I can give them out for Christmas gifts to my friends. So I got that thing and we got back in the truck and put it in there. And, uh, and it's playing. We're riding down the road back toward home across the Ashbury Mountain there. And, uh, man, I, I forget who it was. Somebody singing some Christmas. And, and I remember Whitney just looked at me. She's old, she said, is that, is that Christian music? I said, well, no, technically it's not sweet artists. It's country music, but it's sort of Christmassy. She said, why is it playing in our truck? Hard to say your mother left it in here. <laughs> we, we did have to modify that thing a little bit because there was nothing in there that broke the Ten Commandments and there weren't no swear words. So I listened to it when she wasn't with me. So we worked the thing out. Now I'm, I'm being cute about this, but I'm going to tell you something. We need to create an atmosphere of faith and hope and love and encouragement and acceptance and celebration. And we need to keep the boogers out of the house. We need to keep the wolves out and keep the cancer out so that my wife can be like a fruitful vine in the very heart of my house and my children like olive plants all around my table. Y'all is my cheerings. I am determined you're going to flourish whether you like it or not. Listen, I love you. I don't get credit for how many show up. I get credit for how many grow up. That's a good rhyme right there. That's pretty good. Honey. Lord Jesus, we love you. I want to take a minute and pray over homes here. We've talked about homes in your house, our homes in your house. We love our homes. Only you are more dear than our homes. And our homes are something you gave us. Your word said children are a gift from the Lord. Your word says that a man who finds a wife has found a good thing and found favor from the Lord. I want to take a minute now as we pray and ask you to recalibrate our hearts back toward magnetic home that we would just love our homes. Uh, we don't need to be taught how to do home by the television, the internet, and the Word of God. Your Word is sufficient for everything we need to know. I pray for people in this room. They'll say, I, I want that atmosphere in my house. I want to build an atmosphere. It might, it might, there's going to be some tension there when we have to get some things out of our house that are cancerous. 
I want to build that atmosphere in my home. And Father, I pray people understand getting the few things out, that's not the big deal. Constantly encouraging and cheering and loving and valuing people, that's what builds the home. We'll do that. And I want to pray over this house. I want this, I don't care whether we've got smoke machines, disco lights, I don't care about any of that stuff. That's not what makes a house. A house is how people flourish in an atmosphere of God's love, the warmth of His love. I want people to come in this door and know, man, they treat me like I'm special. They, they, they think I'm important. They care about me. They love me. And Lord, I can't, I can't do it. There's too many of them for all of them. Build a house where the people do it. Father, I've got a great relationship with my sister and my brother, not just my father, my biological sister and brother. We, I love them. We got great relationships. We enjoy each other. It's not just the father. And my three kids, they love to be around each other. It's not just that I'm their father. I want people to know there's more to being a believer than just having a father. You've got a family and interact with the family. Create an atmosphere in this place where the love of God warms people's hearts. Let your spirit come in this house. I need the presence of God in my life. I need the life-giving, healing, refreshing Holy Spirit. Thank you for our musicians that try to bring your glory down in here and worship you and we invite you to be with us. And I want you to be in our hearts and in our homes and in this house. Let the word of God be alive. Father, I don't want people to do Bible study as a duty. I want them to see the Bible as a telephone to heaven where they hear the voice of God on it and they pick up that phone and they hear you speak to them. I don't care if they talk to you exactly 10 minutes a day. One word from you sets our hearts on fire. I want people to hear your voice. In this house, I want them to hear your voice. I, I'm, I'm not a complicated, I'm not a fancy preacher. I just want them to hear the voice of God in this house. We live by that. And I, Father, it's really old-fashioned to try to keep the predators out of the garden now, but I've seen what they've done to churches and homes in this land. I don't want that here. I don't want these people's homes. I've watched the devastation of letting things go on that shouldn't have gone on. Protect us. Thou, O Lord, art a shield about us, the glory and the lift of our heads. I trust you. I pray for every home in this house. Protect it. I pray you bother people and, and in their spirits, bother them if there are things that are hurting their kids or their marriages or their homes. Get, get that stuff out of there. We want this house to be protected. Uh, you've been good to us in that regard. We give you all the praise and glory. I, I just... I remember when I was building the house we're living in right now, Father, I remember sitting there thinking, we're going to have Thanksgiving dinner right there. And we're going to have so much fun. We're going to open Christmas presents right over there one day. And as I was hammering the nails and putting on the trim, I remember thinking, we're going to gather around and play games right there on that floor. Our family's going to have the best time in this house. And we built that house so we could do family. Build this house so we can have, I know that's why you created the church. You said, I will be a father to them. They'll be sons and daughters to me. And they'll be brothers and sisters to each other. Build a house where people can do family with you. I trust you for that. Let Jesus be glorified. In his precious name we pray. Amen.